So Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter number 2. When we think of Luke chapter number 2, what do you think of? Christmas story. The Christmas story. Well, we're not going to do the Christmas story this morning. Not quite time yet. Nor do I celebrate Christmas in July. Especially not Hallmark. No, absolutely not. Don't do it. My wife, she tries to a little bit, but not when I'm in the house. So, But Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at a story here. A few verses, but I think that there is a powerful truth that we can get from it. We're going to start in verse number 40 of Luke chapter 2. This is talking about Jesus here. And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing of them and asking them questions. And all that heard of him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist not, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Lord, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for this passage, these 10 verses that we're going to look into in depth the next few moments. May you, may you uh, speak to our hearts. May you relay this message more clearly than I'm able to do myself. Remove distractions and thoughts from our minds that shouldn't be here and allow us to focus entirely on what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was lost. This reminds me back to a, to a time when I was about eight years old. I was homeschooled at the time. Me, my older brother, and my younger sister, we were homeschooled in Connecticut. I tell everybody I'm from Arkansas because that was about the last place I lived. And I am from Arkansas, but I, I lived much, 10 years of my life, 12 years of my life in Connecticut. And while we were homeschooling, we took a break because that's what you can do when you homeschool. There's like no rules. And those of you that have been a part of that know what I'm talking about. So we took a break and we walked down to a pond that was about a mile from our house. And we walked to the pond and before long, we got tired of catching frogs and, you know, trying to kill dragonflies and whatever else we were trying to do. We got tired of that. And so we decided that we would venture off into the woods that was behind this pond. And my mother, she was nice and let us... Do a, do a lot of things we probably shouldn't have done. And she allowed us to go off, and so we left her sight. It was only supposed to be for a few minutes, and we got out into the woods, and me, my brother, and my sister, we got pretty far away, and my brother said, I know the way back. And I said, no, I know the way back. 
And so he, of course, left. And long story short, he did know the way back. I didn't. And me and my little sister, and we had our dog on a leash, we start walking through these wetlands that are in the back behind this pond. I mean, acres, hundreds and hundreds of acres there were. And what was supposed to be only a few short minutes turned into hours and hours and hours where my sister and I were walking. And what caused us to keep going? I was an eight-year-old boy. I have no idea. We should have turned around. We walked in. There was dry ground, but I ended up going to this area where we were wading through water. We swam across this little park. I mean, it was crazy. It was absolutely, it was absolutely crazy, but we were lost. And I could hear, I could hear the main road. And so after a few hours, we finally made our way, I would say at least a mile away, out to the main road. By that time, my mom, of course, she was worried sick. The police, of course, have been notified. Now it's a big deal. And so we walk out onto the sidewalk, and all of a sudden, here comes a patrol car. They knew it was us, not because it was two little kids and a dog, but we were covered in mud from head to toe. We got back home, and there was no go in and get a shower. That happened later. It was just hosing each other off. It was horrible. And my mother, of course, just being worried sick. And it was all because, and it was just supposed to be just a couple minutes, but it turned into a really big endeavor and a search and rescue type of situation. And it all could have been avoided if we just stayed in contact with one another. And I never left her sight and she never left mine. And it would all been avoided. And we have here the story of, of Jesus and Joseph and Mary, they become distracted and they essentially, they lose Jesus. They lose him. And the first thing that I want us to look at this morning is, have you lost Jesus? Have you lost Jesus? Now I'm going to preface that statement with this. I'm not referring to salvation. I am not referring to losing your salvation. Please, I'm going to refer to losing Jesus probably many times in this message, but I am not under any circumstance hinting, nudging, pushing that you can lose your salvation. The Bible teaches the opposite, that once you are saved, you are always saved. We refer to it as eternal security. And there are many Bible instances which prove that you do not lose your salvation. No man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. Not possible. And if I could lose it, I would have lost it by now. How many of you would agree on that? About me? About you? No, I'm just kidding. Yes, yes, we would have lost it by now because I've done some horrible, wicked things since I've been saved. But thank, thanks be to God, it's not me who's keeping me. It's, it's God the Father, Jesus Christ, who is keeping me. Romans chapter 6 tells us, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If we could lose our salvation, why was he saying that you can sin and grace is going to cover it? That's not the way to live. But it gives us an idea that, yes, you can still be saved and do some horrible things. If you don't believe that and, and you think that you can lose it, look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and go through what the, the church at Corinth was going through and the immorality that was going on there and the adultery. And in chapter 5, we have... We have a, a son who is in an immoral relationship with his father's wife. But Paul still refers to them as if they are saved. 
If you can't lose your salvation after something horrible like that, what can cause you to lose it? He writes to him in the next chapter and he says, Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? He's describing to them that you're allowing this sin to come into your life and God is indwelt inside of you. You cannot lose your salvation, so please don't misunderstand me this morning. Verse, verse 43 says that we looked at today, And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew it not. I like to think about it this way. Mary and Joseph, they had one job. I mean, they literally only had one job. An angel, I mean, appeared to them, told them what this who this child was going to be. I mean, she was a virgin. She had never known a man before intimately or sexually. And the angel says, you're going to bear a child. Next thing you know, she looks like Heather. (laughs) And she had a responsibility to raise this child. Maybe she didn't understand everything that was going on at the time, but they had one job. They had one job. God had already... Spared them, of course, in Bethlehem when King Herod was killing all the infants there and they fled down to Egypt and God had provided. But I mean, imagine the shock on their faces when they realized that they lost Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. They lost him. And so, how did they lose it? How did they lose him? How did it even happen? You would say? I think it was because they became distracted. They became distracted. Now, distraction comes in many different ways. How about distracted driving? How about texting and driving? We know a lot about that, right? We see it all the time, these little fender benders that happen. I've got, an, I've got something to show. I've got something I'm going to show you here about how much a little bit of distraction can cause a whole lot of harm. This is from the National Safety Council. It reports some interesting statistics about distracted driving, specifically texting and driving. And it says, answering a text takes away your attention for about five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. The National Safety Council reports that the cell phone use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes every year, just from a little bit of distraction. Nearly 390,000 injuries occur each year from accidents caused by texting and driving. One, this is shocking, one out of every four car accidents in the U.S. is caused because of texting and driving. Put your phone down. Don't do it. Wait, texting while driving is six times more likely to cause an accident than drunk driving. Amazing. Of all cell phone-related tasks, Texting is by far the most dangerous activity. It seems like something that is so innocent. I don't think anybody here is probably innocent of texting and driving or being distracted looking at their phone while they're driving. Nobody's probably probably innocent of that. And maybe we probably even have some folks in here that are in the same boat and have gotten in wrecks because they've been distracted. And it seems innocent at the moment and like it's not that big of a deal, but it turns out to be detrimental. Mary and Joseph here, they were distracted by some things that didn't seem like a big deal, but it turned out to cause quite a bit of problems. They were distracted, I believe, by the events that were taking place. We read earlier that they were coming back from 
the Feast of the Passover, and of course they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasted a week after that. Every year they would make their way to Jerusalem. It was a big deal. The family was there. I'm sure there was ambiance. It was the time that many Jewish people came together to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts, and it was a big deal. I would probably relate it to something being like season in southwest Florida. Everybody's here. There's always something going on when it's season. You can go down about every, every uh, time I drive the bus down on Sunday, you got to avoid downtown Bonita, right? Because there are some serious things just happening there. They've got all sorts of different festivals because people are in town. And, and, and there's organizations that are, of course, taking advantage of folks being here. And there's no doubt in my mind that that's what was probably going on in Jerusalem. Crowds of people, things being sold left and right, more things to do than you could probably have time to do, and you look forward to it every year. Not only that, there was a great crowd. Their family was there. It was probably a time of family reunion where people came from all over the uh, nation of Israel and came together for this big event, and they became distracted. You know, we often get distracted as well in our lives and causes us to take our eyes off Jesus, which seems like it's innocent, that it's just for a little bit of time, but it can be detrimental to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Mark 4.19 says, I'll read it for you. It says, in the cares, this is Jesus' words, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. The cares of this world often distract us from the things of God, which should be the most important to us, and we allow them to creep in. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read verse, starting verse 57. It says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my father's house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The cares of this world. We've seen three or four instances just in that passage where people were approaching Jesus with things that are just common in this life, the cares that involve this life, but we lose out on the relationship with Jesus Christ when we overemphasize those things instead of the will of the Father. Busyness can often creep in. We have technology now. I have phones, iPads, computers, smart TVs. Our cars are smart now. They almost drive themselves. We've got every sort of app to make our lives easier, but our technology ends up taking up more time and we become busier than ever when the original purpose of it was to free up our time. Wouldn't we all agree? Since all this technology has happened, we find ourselves, and I'm going to knock on your grandkids here, 
They're facing the phone all the time. And life is now busier than ever. We've got vehicles that can travel just about anywhere. It's not a big deal to come into town like it used to be back in the old days. And life is busy. And the busyness of life often detracts from our relationship with Christ. And he gets put on the back burner. Schedules. Schedules. People jam-pack their schedules. Ephesians 5.16 says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. There are so many things in life that are trying to distract us from what God wants us to do. The devil is totally happy. He is totally happy with our lives being filled up with a bunch of stuff so we don't have any room for Jesus in our life. He's happy with our schedules being so full. And, and again, there's so many things just pulling for our attention. That's why we're trying to redeem the time. And there's advertisements out there about vacations that we can go on and movies that we should watch that eat up two hours of our time just like this or the, our favorite TV series that we love that we waste hours and hours and hours upon every week. And we have hobbies that are trying to yank us in all different directions. We live in a, in a big fishing community and people love going to the beach and going fishing and that's all great, that's all fine, that's all dandy, but it better not distract us from the things that are utterly important to where we put Christ in his wrongful place. In lifestyles, where we get this idea that we have to live a certain way. These are all time wasters that the devil has that eat up our time. We have monetary possessions. He says in verse number 58 of chapter 9, he says, he says And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not, hath not where to lay his head. That puts it in perspective. He says, you want to follow me? He says, okay. I don't even know where I'm, well, he probably didn't know, but I'm sure he knew where he was going to sleep that night. But to everybody else, he had no clue. He had no clue where he was going to lay his head that night. He had no permanent place of, of, uh, of shelter that he had. And he was telling his followers, look, those things are not as important as they seem. We get in our mind that we have to have this certain house. We have to have these certain vehicles. And you say, well, you've got to have a place to live. You've got to have something to drive. You've got to have clothes. Yes, but that ought not to be the emphasis. How many people have turned down the will of God and have taken a turn from their relationship with God because they've been caught up on all these things which aren't necessarily, aren't necessarily even bad things? where they're so worried about their finances. But Jesus is going to take care of all those. Don't worry about it. I just talked to somebody recently who is involved in the bus ministry, and they were talking about changing jobs. And the one stipulation that this, this man had was that he says, I, I think I'm going to switch jobs soon, but the one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to work on Saturday. Did he want to go down and get his boat and go out in the Gulf? Did he want to go out and go to the beach every week? Did he want to go out and shop and go hang out with his friends? No. He doesn't want to work on Saturday because he wants to have time for his bus route and to go visit his kids. And what he's doing is he's basing his job search off of something that's going to fit that schedule to where he is putting God first in his life. That's big. That's big. That's no small thing. Many people miss out on, they say, oh, well, you know, you know, I, I got to have, have my rent. 
I got to have it. I guess I'm going to drop the bus mystery. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to drop all those good things and get your eyes focused on all this temporal stuff. And believe me, if you submit to the will of God, God is going to take care of the details. I 100% believe it. And so, encouraged by that. Other things that... uh, other things that distract us are people, other people. Mary and Joseph, they were definitely distracted by their family and friends. It says in verse, I think it was 44, that their kinsfolk were there, and they thought that Jesus was just with the rest of the family. By the way, family should not be number one. That doesn't get talked about a lot. Would you agree? But family should not be number one. Jesus Christ is number one. Jesus said, I believe it's Matthew 10, he says, I've come not to send peace but a sword. And he talks about how, how the, because he's come and people are going to choose to serve Christ with their life, it's going to cause variance and it's going to cause strife and it's going to hurt relationships and family. It's going to turn father against their son and mother against their daughter-in-law. That's the reality. People don't like to preach about it, but it's true. God should be number one. Family should not be a distraction that we allow to creep into our lives and take us away from the things of God. And there's a whole lot of things that we can do with family. We can, we can do things every week, every day, every night, but there has to come a time where we say, what is most important? Doing the will of God. Doing the will of God. Relationship with others. Relationship with others. By the way, you can still serve God and have time for your family. Let me say that. Please do not think that I'm getting this out of balance, because I'm not. I understand that if you lose your family, you lose your ministry. That's what, you, that's what they tell you when you're at Bible college. That's what, you're, that's what Pastor Bill tells me on a regular basis, probably every week. You lose your family, you lose your ministry. Yes, there is that, but there is a balance that comes with that as well. We got door-to-door that happens once every, every other week, two times a month. Pastor Bill said when I first came to the church, he says, I told Pastor McKinney, look, I'll come door to door two Saturdays a month, but I need two Saturdays for my family because I got to have my family. I got I to gotta raise my son up. And so Troy, he took you out fishing twice a month, did things with you. Yes, family has its rightful place, but God comes first. Family does not just take the cake. And so with my family, I try to do the same thing. So please don't think that I neglect my family. I do a lot with them, and I try to keep it in the rightful place, but keeping God first in our family life. In the relationships, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 61, the one guy says there, he says, oh, I'm just going to go back, and I'm going to bid my friends and everybody farewell that's back home. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Nobody that puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What he's saying there is when you would plow, you have to look straight. Some of you that like to maybe mow your own lawns. Does anybody mow their own lawn anymore? Not around here too much, but you get your lawnmower, maybe your zero turn, and you fix your eyes out on something in the distance, and you don't take your eyes off it. If you take your eyes off it, your line's not going to be straight. It's going to be a horrible mess. You turn around, somebody calls your name. You don't look. You don't stop. You keep going because it's Otherwise, it's not going to be perfect. And so many people, they're trying to serve God, but they keep looking away at friends and family. And this man that in verse 61, he was not fit to serve the Lord because he was distracted by his family. Many times we're distracted by 
sin, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We're distracted by doubt, by doubt. Reminds me of Peter when he was walking on the water. By the way, he was the only one who walked on the water. Don't knock him too hard. He was the only one. But he was doing well and doing fine when he had his eyes on Jesus and he got distracted because he saw how big the waves were and he began to sin. What was the sin? It was doubt. Anything that's not done in faith is sin, is sin. And so he took his eyes off Jesus and sin will ruin our relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll get involved in it and soon enough we'll look back and we'll think, man, where is Jesus in our lives? Where is he? Where did he go? Well, we lost him way back there. By the way, these things that Mary and Joseph were doing, these were good things. The distractions that they had, generally speaking, they were good distractions. I mean, not that they were distracting them in a good way, but they were good things. I mean, they were going, they were attending the Passover. That was great. That was a good thing to do. They were going to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. That was great. Oh yeah, they were spending time with family. That's a good thing to do. But when it detracts away from our relationship with Jesus Christ, it turns horribly wrong. Mary and Martha is a good example of this, how one just wanted to be with Jesus and the other was too worried about service that she neglected her responsibility and her relationship with Jesus Christ and it suffered because of it. She thought that because she was serving God and doing good things that that's what was matter. But Jesus said, no, 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 time out. You come spend some time with me. Get your priorities straight. I remember at, when I was at Bible college, they give you the opportunity at my college at least that you could work on Wednesday night. Generally, you have Wednesday night church service, but because you're trying to pay your school bill and whatnot, they give you the option to work on Wednesday night. And so, of course... I ended up starting to do that. And Heather, shortly thereafter, told me, that is not a good thing to do. She's being a good woman, by the way. She's like, that's not a good thing to do. I could rearrange my schedule a little differently to, to make it work out to where I could pro- get enough hours. But she encouraged me to drive a stake in the ground and say, I'm not going to give it up. It was a good thing what I'm doing. I'm saying, I'm going, I'm going to Bible college. That's a good thing. I'm working and and I'm tithing and I'm giving to this ministry and I'm helping out in a variety of different areas. But I got lost in doing all those good things. And one of the furthest places I was away from God when I was was at Bible college. I was wrapped up in, in doing good. There was so much good going on. I just, my relationship with Jesus Christ suffered. Mary and Joseph, they were not only apathetic, I mean, they were not only distracted, but they were also apathetic. They became apathetic. They took Jesus for granted. Here he is, 12 years old. They've had him for a a long time now. I'm sure they are somewhat wowed at the things that are going on in his life. The Bible is not very specific about um, his life as a child and the things that he did, but definitely being the son of God, he was different than the average kid. He was different than his brothers, for sure. But they took him for granted. They probably thought, oh, well, it's Jesus. He'll always be around. Don't people do that with Jesus in their life? They take him for granted. They live their lives like that. They say, oh yeah, Jesus, he's always just going to be there. When I want him, I'll just go get him. He'll be around. 
They got this mentality that Jesus, he's my sidekick. That's horrible. That's horrible. Jesus is not just going to tag along in your life. He's not going to want, he's not just going to ride in the back seat. If you think that, then you've got the wrong impression about who Jesus is. We make time for Jesus. We make time for him. We don't just put him with the remainder of the time that we have left. Put Jesus first instead of putting everything else first. There's a book called Baby Wise. Anybody read it in here? Baby Wise. We've got a few of them. Parents in here. Phenomenal book. Mr. Nick, thanks for turning me on to it. The Knots as well. They had some good recommendations to it, and it's about raising kids. It's a Christian perspective on raising children. And one of the things, now you don't have to get the book after I tell you this, because this is the number one secret in the whole book, at least for me, was you've got a choice when you have a child. Either that you're going to be on the child's schedule, or the child is going to be on your schedule. And I'm thankful that we got that information, we implemented it, and it's been wonderful Mason, Owen, and our little girl that's coming, they are on our schedule, and it just works out perfect. It works out perfect. Instead of me trying to be on their schedule and doing everything that they want to do. And so my, my challenge to us is to be on Jesus's schedule, to where we wipe out all our plans and we say, whatever happens, I'm just, I'm going to do what he wants me to do. When Thomas, when he came on staff, one of the things that I told him, one of the first things I told him is, you got to die to everything else in your life. You have to die. And by the way, that should not just be for the preacher. That should not be for the people on staff. That ought to be for every individual. you got to die to all those other things in your life. And this ministry, for us staff folks, becomes number one. Nothing else takes a cake. If you got something else going on, but there's an emergency over here, you leave that, and you're just totally 100% on call all the time. That's our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're saying, God, whatever you want me to do, whatever ministry you want me to be involved, however you want me to serve you, whatever time that I spend in your word every day, it's number one. Everything else trickles down after that. These Saturday night church services, I'm not totally knocking them, but it's but it's not good in principle about why, they, why a lot of places do it. And it's not about people not having time. It's about people who want to plan Jesus around their own schedules. That's generally what it's about. It's not generally that, well, there's not enough people that can fit in our building on Sundays, so we have to have a Saturday night service. No, 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 no. Generally, that's not it. It's, I can put Jesus where I want to put him so I can do everything else I want to do. That's not the way it ought to be. It's not the way it ought to be. You can get apathetic while being immersed in the things of God as well. Again, I mentioned the furthest I was ever away from God was when I was at Bible college. It was four church services a week, three chapel services, and three to four Bible classes a day. And while all that truth and all that knowledge was being given to me, my relationship with God was suffering. Just because you show up to church, just because you're immersed in however many ministries you're involved in, and just because you're real busy in the things of God, doesn't mean that your relationship with God is not suffering. And it goes back to having to have that intimate relationship with Him. The first question was, have you lost Jesus? Have you lost Jesus? And the second question is, are you looking? Are you looking for Jesus? 
verses 44 and 45 of Luke chapter 2, which we've been reading, it says, it says this, But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. They were seeking Jesus. This was about an 80-mile journey from the research that I've done. It was a long way. And after they've had all their distractions and they've been apathetic, they finally realized that Jesus was gone. From the time that we allow those distractions to infiltrate into our lives and we allow ourselves to be ho-hum about the things of God, much time can pass between when we realize it and when it happened. Here they are three days, a minimum of three days. They, they look for him for three days. They were looking him for a day before that. Who knows how long it had been since Jesus had not been in their presence and they didn't even know it. There's people that are sitting in our congregation this morning that think that they have a relationship with God and that everything's fine and dandy, but it's not. Jesus is way on another path somewhere, but we just haven't realized it yet. Maybe after looking at the distractions that come into our life and the apathy, maybe it's opened your eyes. I think about David and how the prophet Nathan came to him after his sin with Bathsheba and how he murdered Bathsheba's husband. And he comes and probably thought that everything was just okay. There's no inclination in Scripture that David had some remorse up until that point. He covered it up. It was over. It was done. And then the prophet Nathan comes to him, and he says, Thou art the man. You are the man that has done wrong. And David realizes at that moment he has done horribly wrong. His relationship with God is suffering horrendously. And he writes in Psalm chapter 51, after this sin, a few things that he says. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to my, thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my tra transgressions. He says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. It says in verse 8, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from thee. He comes and he's broken when he realized that the presence of God has been lost in his life. And when that happened to me at Bible college, and I realized that I was so far from God, even though I was immersed in all those good things, I went out, and there was a, there was a walking path that they had there at the college, and they had uh, some springs, some natural springs, that were about a quarter mile walk. I took my Bible, went down there, sat on those rocks that were down there, wept, cried over this Psalm 51. The same like David cried and he wept over Psalm 51. Because I was looking for Jesus. I was looking for him. Now did my relationship, did it get back 100% exactly what it was in just an instance? Oh no, the fellowship began to become closer again, but it took time, just like it took Mary and Joseph time to find Jesus and time to get it. When we've been away from God and he has, he has been lost in our lives, it takes sometimes days, weeks, months to nurture that relationship back, to get back to the place where we were previously. But it comes with realizing that Jesus is gone in our life. Where did you lose Jesus? 
Where did you lose him? Mary and Joseph had to backtrack their steps. They had to look back, and they started with the family. Couldn't find him. They, they go, ended up going back to Jerusalem. Then they find their way to the temple where they finally left him off, where Jesus tarried around and, and stayed around. Where have you left Jesus? Think about in your life, what's the last thing you did between when you turned away from God, whether it's that sin, whether it's a distraction. Think about it, and I guarantee you, that's what you need to go back and get right with God. Some of us, some people today, I'm sure we got visitors, we got, we got different folks in here that I've never met before. Some people came to church this morning looking for Jesus. Maybe they've never known him before. But I tell you this morning, you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He can forgive you of your sin. You must understand that you're a sinner and that mankind back in the Garden of Eden severed that relationship with God. But thankfully, Jesus Christ became the sacrifice for our sins and allowed that relationship to be mended back together. And through faith and repentance and trust in Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of our sins and you can have a personal relationship for Jesus Christ. So if you are looking for Jesus this morning, do not leave here without finding him. You can start it by simply calling out to God. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I was a whosoever. You're a whosoever. That means anybody. If you're looking for Jesus, you can find him. Lastly, we have here, have you found him? Have you found him? Verses 46 through 50, Mary and Joseph find themselves surprised to find Jesus in the temple. They were astonished about what he was doing. And they were shocked by the answer that Jesus gave. And he says, I am about my father's business. I am about my father's business. The question is, is who was really lost? Who was really lost? Was Jesus lost? No. Mary and Joseph were the ones that were lost. Mary and Joseph, they didn't even realize it, but they were lost. Many times we look back and we think, where's Jesus? Jesus didn't leave us, we left him. If you found him, keep him. How do you keep him? You stay with him. Where is, what is, where is he? He's about his father's business. When Jesus was here, he was into giving and sacrificing, caring and witnessing and healing and helping others and serving. You want to keep Jesus now that you found him? Be about his father's business and you'll stay right there with him. Study meditation on the things of God, confession of sin, faithful church attendance, ministry, service. In conclusion, as I finish up, as I read through this story here, I can't help but think about these stories I hear about on the news and these reports that I find about missing children or some tragic, horrific accident, maybe, you know, a child uh, drowns in a pool or you know, something horrific gets left in a car or someone gets kidnapped. And what the parents always say on the interviews, we'll all agree about this, what they always say is they say, the mom or the dad says, I just took my eyes off him for a second. It was just for a couple seconds. It was just a minute. And he was gone. This morning, you may be tempted with all sorts of different things in your life, distraction, apathy, sin. But let me tell you this morning, you may say, well, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It can be detrimental to your Christian life. 
by taking your eyes off Jesus even just for a split second, it can leave scars in your life that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. And let's, let's be honest, most of those parents that say it was only for a second, no, 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 it wasn't. It only seemed like a second. How many Christians say, I'm just taking my eyes off Jesus for a second and it turns out to be five years. It turns out to be 10 years, 30 years. These are the stories that I hear on a regular basis. Don't let that be you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't risk that relationship that you have with him. If you've lost him this morning, you're looking for him, you can find him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we've had. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.